Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dave. I'm here with Emily. And today we're talking to Talia Nasi. Talia is a senior developer advocate for AWS Serverless. She's written many blog posts. She is all over the world at different AWS summits. Someone I'm super excited to have on the show. And we're going to talk a little bit today about event-driven architecture. So Talia, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm super excited. Um, EDA has been a really hot topic the past, I think the past year, I think it's pretty recent, but um, I'm excited to, to be able to, to talk to you. Let's talk a little bit about your journey to the cloud. Where did you begin and how did that you know, move you to AWS and the serverless team? Yeah, so I started my career as a test engineer. So I was doing software testing and QA and automation and basically all the stuff that developers hate doing. That was that was my job. Um, so I did that for a few years. I worked for a bunch of different companies. Um, I worked for big corporate companies. I worked for small startups. Um, and I was doing a lot of uh, I started doing a lot of public speaking and I started talking about something I was really passionate about at the time, um, a topic that is super controversial. It's about testing in production. <laughs> yes. and I, I love that. That's so, on your Twitter profile too. It's perfect. Yeah. I'm so passionate about this topic. And, and I started giving conference talks about it because um, basically as a test engineer, I would spend so much time testing in a dummy environment, in a staging environment, and my test results would never accurately reflect what was happening in production. And I got so yes. frustrated. And I was like, you know, I can't deal with this anymore. We're testing in production now. And so, you know, we I went through the whole process of like setting up feature flags and, you know, make sure making sure everything was like safe to deploy, but like testing everything in production. And it really was just like a mind-blowing experience. Like you know, now at, at that time, it was possible to like release on Fridays. Like you don't have to be scared to like, you know, push a feature on a Friday because who cares? You tested it in production and it works. It's not going to break anything. Right. So I I started doing conference talks about testing in production and, and it got a lot of traction. And I realized like I really like doing public speaking and I like connecting with developers. So I I, I did love being a test engineer, but my my passion was like that interaction with with other developers. So that's kind of how I got started in dev advocacy. Um, it's because I was already doing a lot of it as a test engineer. Yeah. Um, and so it, it kind of was just a natural transition to like move into advocacy. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm so happy that I did because uh, Amazon is has been great and um, it, it's it's been really fun. I, you know, I feel like the art of telling stories and being a good speaker is lost. And it's so important. I mean, when you look at human history, we started out, we were around campfires and we were, that was our actual history. I mean, there was no written language and we were telling the stories of our ancestors and neurologists will tell you that when you're on stage and you probably feel this as a speaker, I know I do. And it's like this dopamine high when you recant a story and you connect with an audience, the audience gets the same actual like neurological response in their brains 
as what you're telling the story. And there's nothing like yeah. it. And I love the fact that you figured that out and don't lose that because I feel like we're going through this winter right now with COVID and everything else where events have kind of fallen to the wayside, but they are so important as human beings for us to get together and be able to connect in a way that you can't when you just push out a blog post. I mean, when I think yeah. back, I think back, all my memories are conversations at events. They're not, I read this thing on a, on a blog and, you know, on a blog post. So it's like, <laughs> it's, it's real. And yeah. it's, and I'm so glad that you decided to, to join AWS with that. And so let's, let's talk yeah. a little bit about serverless. So you've been going to some of these summits. I've seen the serverless team at all. I mean, your team, my goodness, you're all over Europe right now, all of these different AWS summits, like meeting people for developers listening right now. And they're like, Hey, our events back and what's going on? Like, can you just talk a little bit about that, of what you've been seeing and what you've been talking about? Yes, absolutely. So, um, our team is, is, uh, traveling a lot. And if there's an AWS summit near you, we will probably be there. Um, <laughs> Next week, right now, our team is in Berlin. Um, I, be I believe Eric Johnson and Julian Wood are there. Um, next week, me and Eric are going to Tel Aviv. We'll be at the Tel Aviv Summit. Oh, my goodness. That's so awesome. Um, yeah, there's a few coming up. I know um, uh, we were just at the Madrid Summit. James was James was just there. But one of the biggest things we're doing at these summits is our, our, our booth. It's called Serval Espresso. Not sure if you've you've heard of this, but it's a serverless espresso booth that's all built on serverless technologies, and it actually uses event-driven architecture. It uses um, event bridge and step functions, and um, it's a completely serverless um, model. And it's 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 um, it's a coffee bar, so you go it. in and you scan a QR code, and then you order your drink. Um, you, you can customize it however you want, and then you place your order, and it goes through kind of all of these all of these checks with step functions, um, and then once your order is ready, you you get a notification saying your order is ready, and you go pick up your your coffee. So we've been doing that at all the summits, and it's it's so how much a, a very concrete way to like show serverless. So how much coffee do developers consume? At these oh my god! So much. <laughs> generally, we, we've done like yeah. We, generally, we've done like a thousand cups a day. Oh my goodness! Um, yeah, so it's been it's been a lot. I love it. I so speaking of event driven architecture, the way I learned, gosh, now Emily's going to laugh because this gets into the when I was a boy. So there's an API. It was this Win32 API, and it was like, okay, this is what you follow. This is what you call. And the way I started out coding was I call an API, and I wait. And there wasn't even async. Back then, it was all C Sharp and .NET. So there wasn't async anything. It was basically I had held up the app, and it was all synchronous. And I kind of coded that way. And I love this idea of asynchronous decoupling across all of the services that you're doing. And I know you're passionate about it. And can you kind of like define that today? So I'm a developer and I'm calling an API. What are the things that I'm doing that maybe I'm getting myself into trouble? And what are the benefits of thinking about EDA in the context of what I'm building? 
Yeah. So, so basically there's, there's different ways to build your applications. And, and one of the ways like you just talked about is an API driven architecture. There's also event driven architecture. And, and the way to think about that is um, the way to think about how an application works is as a system that reacts to events from other places, like either from within your application or from like, you know, third parties that are, you know, outside of your application. So, in this approach, what you're doing is you're focusing on the system's interaction with other things, with its surroundings, as a transmission of events. And an event is basically just something that happened. So it's like past tense, like, you know, an order was placed or, um, you know, this system state has changed. It's, 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 a, it's a description of something that happened and it's, it's kind of different from the, the traditional like API driven request response architecture um, with, 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 you know, the synchronous way of like commands and APIs, they're usually directed to a target, right? Like you, you hit an API that like adds something to a shopping cart or, or that creates an account or, or does something that's directed to a target. But with events, they're facts and they happened in the past and they're not directed to a target events are raised um, and they're they're raised and they're routed to where they need to go through an event mm -hmm. router so in that way like the publisher and the consumer don't know about each other and they're completely decoupled so then is there like ever a uh, sort of an example where you would prefer one over the other i'm assuming the different architecture approaches make sense in different scenarios. Do you know, like, do you have any examples of that? Yeah. So when you're, when you decouple your event sources and event targets, basically there's, there's a few, a few reasons you might want to do that. First of all, you, when you build with EDA, a lot of times you write less code because you only have to consider um, like new events being raised. So for example, if you're building new features for your application, um, think about like what events exist. Like let's say it's an e-commerce application. So um, the existing events would be like um, item added to cart and account created and um, order placed, things like that. And then as you add new features, all you have to do is think about what events exist? Like, do you have to add an existing event or do you have to add a new event? So it's, it's a, I think it's a better way of thinking like holistically of what's happening in your application. Um, I think another reason to use event-driven architecture is you can act more independently and that increases your, um, your velocity. So for example, like if there's an API-based integration, if my team wants to know about changes that happened in another team's microservice, I have to ask that team to make an API call to my service, and then I have to deal with authentication and coordination. But like with EDA, all you have to do is subscribe to events from a specific microservice, and then the event router, like EventBridge, will take care of routing the event. Okay. So almost with event-driven architecture, you're looking at outcomes and APIs, you're looking at actions. Would that be a good way of summarizing that? Yeah. Yeah. Cause, okay. Because events are things that happened in the past yeah. and, and you don't necessarily care about who produced the events. The consumer just needs to know 
what events happened. They don't need to know where they came from. And mm -hmm. so that decoupling is going to make make your, your um, application run faster. And then how does that work with security? If it's just like, like you mentioned API, you're not worried about that sort of authentication layer. Is there room for bad actors to cause events? And then because you're just listening to those events, it kicks off a bad sort of path or, or how do you kind of mitigate that? So when you build with EventBridge, you have security um, you can add like the same security as you as you have in your regular application. So it's not anything different from like just building an AWS where like, you know, security is like the number one um, priority. So uh -huh. as long as you're building with, you know, the recommended AWS tools and the recommended AWS like practices, it's, it's nothing different from that. Okay, amazing. And then yeah. with, like if I have an application that's mostly, you know, architecture with the sort of EDA approach, how do integrations work with third-party tooling? Like, are people in generally do you, in general do you feel like the industry is moving toward this, and you can you can integrate in this way, or um, does it cause any friction? Yeah. So there are so many third parties that you can use with EventBridge. I believe there's um, like two hundred third parties that are already there that you can integrate with. Um, and I know they're always adding new ones. Um, don't quote me on the 200. I think it's 200 now. Um, but basically, these, these third parties can act as event producers and consumers. So you have, you know, maybe, um, for example, like a, a payment provider like Stripe. Mm -hmm. um, that could be an example of like, you know, Stripe processed the payment then what happens? Then it'll send that event to EventBridge and EventBridge will say, hey, you know, we just got this payment from Stripe. And let's say one of the consumers could be like the fulfillment team is going to, you know, OK, like someone placed placed an order and paid. Now we have to go, you know, actually ship this this order. So, you know, the yeah. fulfillment team doesn't have to know that like it was Stripe and these are the details. They just have to know like, you know, this order was placed and let's go ship it and, you know, get the, get the items out. Yeah. It seems more direct, like that you're reducing the level of noise within the application and what yeah. you actually have to communicate. I like that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's EventBridge. There also, I think there's something called SNS, I think, and SQS. What are, what are, <laughs> tell me all the things. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So SQS is a queuing service, and SQS you can also use to decouple um, services. So SQS, a really great way to think about um, SQS is like, think of Amazon.com. Like normally when you go shopping on Amazon.com, um, you know, you place an order, and, you know, after you place the order, after you click the place order button, a, a few things happen, right? You Your credit card gets checked to make sure you can pay. Then we process your payment and then the order gets sent to the warehouse and then the people in the warehouse, you know, get your item off the shelf and and, and onto, the, onto the buses and, and we ship everything out. So all of that happens normally at, at a very, um, you know, normal rate. But on days like Black Friday, Prime Day, where the traffic is so high, a lot of times, you know, you have so many millions and millions of requests coming in all at the same time. And if you don't have a queue in between your services, yeah. it can be hard to, for, for, you know, some of the services to keep up. So putting, adding a queue in between those services, basically after you place your order, that event gets put onto SQS, which is a queue. Mm -hmm. um, and when the back end is ready, then it'll pick up 
you know, the next event and, and process it. So basically when you have this queuing service, it's really great for handling traffic. Okay. Um, and so it's really great for like e-commerce companies. Um, anytime you need, you, you don't have, you, you're not going to know the amount of traffic that you have. A queue is a great place to, a, a great thing to add there. That's amazing. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, and S- then SNS. SNS. Yeah. Yeah. SNS is, um, SNS is what I used to service. tell me that I'm about to spend too much money on my bill. Really? <laughs> um, SNS is, um, it's a messaging service that you can use to fan out messages. So if there's messages that you need to send to a bunch of people, um, SNS is going to be your tool to do that. So SNS you can use for basically just fanning out messages and then, um, SQS on the other hand is a queuing service. So it's decoupling other services. What does the N stand for? Simple notification service. Got it. So it's notification. Yeah. Okay. All right. Is there a reason you would want to use one versus the other? Um, they, they kind of have different use cases. Okay. SNS is meant for, let's say you need to send, um, a notification every time something happens in an application that that's something that you would use sns for sqs you would use for like high high levels of traffic you know to decouple services when you don't know um, the traffic that's going to come in um you, you can use a queue for that I, I think the use cases are a little bit different that makes sense yeah what about um like fault tolerance how does that work with with these services, I'm imagining that because things are more clearly decoupled, it's a lot more tolerant. Is that true? Yeah. So there is something called a dead letter queue when you're using SQS. And so if something doesn't get pulled off of the queue, it'll go into a dead letter queue, um, which just means like, hey, we weren't able to process this. And these are all the requests that or these are all the events that, you know, we weren't able to process for some reason. Um, And then you do have like those logs to look back on. Okay. Very, very cool. What else should people know? Like if, if someone's completely unfamiliar with this approach and they're just learning, what kind of resources do you suggest or or what are the sort of um, common pitfalls you've seen? Yeah, I think it's really common for developers to start with um, API driven and um, request response driven applications when they're starting to build like this is really common in startups too like you know you're just starting to code and you know let's make an api let's let's uh let's do it that way i think the best thing you can do is start with event-driven architecture like eda first and a serverless first approach it's just going to save you so much more of a headache later on Um, but i i don't think that a lot of developers know about um, the benefits of EDA, yeah. and I don't think that they know how how much easier it, it makes development. Um, so yeah, the, the the resources that you can that you can um, that you can utilize are on serverlessland.com. So um, there's a, there's a ton of stuff on there. There's the AWS Compute blog, which um, I wrote a few blog posts, um, and. Yeah, that, 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 that's where I would start is serverless land and the compute blog. Amazing. Okay. Very, very cool. What are you excited yeah. about? And it could be serverless or not. Like what's, what's um, exciting you recently? Yeah, I'm excited about the adoption of EDA. I'm excited about the, the correlation between EventBridge and Step Functions. So like using Step Functions and EventBridge together, I really think is like going to be so 
um, prominent in the future. Like I think that's going to be the new way to build is is EDA with EventBridge and Step Functions. Um, there's a serverless espresso workshop that um, Ben Smith and James Bezik wrote that goes through building serverless espresso and it just it does exactly that. So it uses EventBridge and Step Functions, um, and I believe the link is serverlessland.com/slash/serverless dash coffee. Um, and so that's a really great place to, to learn about this too. Awesome. I'll, I'll add that to the show notes with some of the other things. I, one of the things I have always struggled with through my entire career is how to write code that scales. And it seems like decoupling microservices from each other, even I guess if you're coding this way, you're decoupling dependencies across teams, right? Is we definitely, you know, to be vocally self-critical in dev tools, like there are dependencies, even when you're writing the SDKs for different languages, you have to worry about what the other teams are. How does this interdependency work with this? If, you know, do you have a cloud formation template for this service and how does it work with cloud API and all of that? And how would you say, that EDA can enable developers to scale better across everything that they're building? So EDA uses serverless services. So when you're using event-driven architecture, you have a producer, you have a router, and then you have a consumer. So the producers could be any any uh, any of these um, AWS services, and then you have your router like EventBridge, and then you have your consumers, which are other AWS services. Um, or third parties. So when you when you use serverless services, so like Lambda, API Gateway, um, uh, Step Functions, things like that, serverless means like one of the tenants is that you have scaling built in for you. So you don't have to architect for scalability because like Lambda, for example, will scale automatically for you. Um, so one of the things to consider when you're built when you're building with EDA is if you're using serverless services and the serverless platform, you don't have to architect for um, scalability because it's it's there for you. It's, you can achieve massive massive scale with serverless. Love it. I whatever makes my life easier, and I inherently get with the cloud the scalability, the fault tolerance, the speed. Right, decoupling. I don't have as many interdependencies so I can go ahead and update a piece of my modern app versus affecting all of that. Um, I just, it's, there's, there's so many things we can dive into with this. I, what I'm going to like, what I want people to do is check out your blog post and check out your reinvent video of everything that's new and serverless. So I'll add that. Where else can people find you online? How can they interact? Uh, I'll make sure I add that to the show notes too. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. Um, you can interact. You can, you know, DM me on Twitter. You can. Um, Be careful what you wish for. I know. Maybe not DM. <laughs> you can tweet. tweet you can tweet at me. Um, actually, better yet, tweet at Eric Johnson because he's on. There you go. Much more. He's coming on the show. Everybody, go bother. He's coming on the show. Yeah, go bother Eric. <laughs> um, no, well, we, we all respond to questions on Twitter. So if you have questions about any of this, just let us know. And we are always like, 
I think our team and, and the serverless team is is very like customer obsessed. We we really focus on what our customer needs are. So if there's something that doesn't make sense to you or, or if something is confusing, let us know and we'll give that feedback back to our product teams. Um, so we, we always want to know if something doesn't make sense or you know if you guys need help with anything, we're we're here to help. I love it. And what was your Twitter? I'll make sure I add it to the show notes too. Yeah, it's at Talia underscore Nasi. Great. Thank you so much for taking the time today. This was great. Yeah, thank you.